And then the way it ties in in season four when he is like realizing that if he didn't save her in Tijuana, she would have died then. Exactly. Oh my God, I literally Ex- have full body chills Same. right now. <laughs> of To Be Honest, the podcast. My name is Kara R. Reedy, and sitting across from me, as always, is my beautiful co-host, Amanda Darks. How are you doing today? Hello. Um, I'm doing quite well today. How are you going? I'm doing pretty well as well. I mean, it is like 8am, so it'd be a bit concerning if our days were bad at this point. It would be concerning. <laughs> it has been known to happen before, but yeah. not today, so yeah. that's all good. Today we do have another Pop Culture Made Me episode. I feel like we haven't done one of these in quite a while. Yeah, we've been like serving them over on Patreon, but we haven't done a public one in a while. Really, really excited to get back into Mm. it. Also, we had a week off last week. If you don't follow us on Instagram, we had a week off. It was my birthday and also technical issues. And it just felt like... uh, time to have a week it off. felt like the universe saying hey um you, act, you guys actually can't fix this issue in time mm-hmm. so maybe just chill out yeah and so that's what we did and we enjoyed we your did. birthday and it was super fun yeah you had a good time i had a birthday. lovely time i had one of the best birthdays i've had in a really really long time 29 and feeling great fine oh <laughs> <laughs> okay so we haven't discussed who's gonna go first today I think you should go first. Okay. Okay. Is that because like yours is like fun and fresh and new and cool? Mine's mine's like fun and fresh and new and interesting and I'm excited to talk about it. But I just have this feeling, this energy is telling me that you need to go first. Okay. I'm happy to go first. Just before I start though, just because I love doing this and we don't know what the other person's talking about. Mm. What do you think? Like, do you have any ideas what I'm what I'm doing? If you can, I have no idea. But if you can give me like a clue, like what niche we're in. Like, for example, are we in the television niche? Are we we're in... in music with a dash of television? Just a dash. Oh my just, god! Just a tiny little. Bloop we're kind of there for me too. Oh, guys. We really try hard not to double up because obviously when we don't know what each other are doing. Yeah. And we also love so many of the same things. It's really concerning sometimes that we're going to talk about the same things. But we did tell our friend Bray what we each are doing and she said that we are good to go ahead. So I feel like... I, well, we're, we're not doing the same no, thing. No, but it's like... But is, like it's, what, what are we? Are they adjacent? I don't okay, know. Okay, you're doing music with uh-huh. a dash of television. Like when I say a dash, I mean like a... Like a like a sprinkle. Like a long black with a tiny like dash taste. of almond milk. To taste. Is that what a little... To taste means a little bit, right? Um, I, no, to taste, oh. is, to taste <laughs> is like as much as you would like. You're reading a recipe being like salt and pepper to taste and you're putting in... Are you seriously doing it? Yes. And you're putting in a little bit. No, to taste is like you put some in, you taste it. Do you think it needs more? You put more in. Oh. <laughs> I literally thought it meant. To your like, like just just so you can kind of like taste it in the recipe, like put a bit oh. of salt in. Salt is pretty strong. Yeah. You can taste it. I would just do a little twice on the salt to taste. No. Okay, that's changed my life a little bit, if I'm honest. But anyway, you've learned something new today. <laughs> I'm not a food blogger for a reason. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I honestly don't know what you're but, doing. Look, look, that's an incredibly vague uh, hint that I gave you. Yeah. Today, I will be talking about an album, specifically, Mm. but an artist, 
more generally, Mm -hmm. who absolutely shaped me, rearranged my DNA, made me who I am. I don't know what I, who I would be if this experience didn't happen in my life. What the fuck are you actually talking about? <laughs> like, literally, like, I thought we may be having a Taylor Swift moment, but I was like, surely not. We've talked about Taylor Swift enough. I'm talking about Dalton Goodrum's debut album, Innocent Eyes. Have you not done this already? No. Are you sure? No. Have I not? Have I? No, I haven't. I was gonna see. I was gonna guess that you were doing Delta Goodrum, but I was like, haven't you already done that? Am I living in a dream? No, I've done. I've done. Uh, now I'm really scared. You know why I'm feeling? I, I think I'm thinking this because Bray did hating Alice and Ashley, yes. and so I've like got Delta Goodrum on the brain. Okay, well, great. Lovely. Look, if I it, guys, if, I, if it turns out I have done this, just uh, uh, look. When I was writing, I know I haven't done it because when I was writing it, I was having so much fun and nothing was like. Oh, this is like familiar. Okay. Okay. I know I haven't done it. Okay. I know I haven't done it. Okay. Lovely. <laughs> anyway, you didn't give it the response it deserves, so I'm going to say it again. Okay. Today I am doing Delta Goodrum's debut album, Innocent Eyes. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> wow. Thank you. I'm so excited. That is what, that is the reaction it deserves. Guys, when I tell you that this... Look, you listened to this album growing up, didn't you? Yes, and we also have to note that we just got tickets to her Innocent Eyes album that is happening next year. That was how I was going to end my segment. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, now it's how you're really you're just hijacking my whole, your my whole thing. This is how I feel when you hijack every segment I ever do. That's so rude. I ask questions. That is so rude. How I feel when you say that the flat earth is fake. Well, they are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So for those of you who might not know, Delta Goodrum mm. is an Australian singer, songwriting and actress. That's mm-hmm. where the dash, the t- taste of uh, neighbors. Act- neighbors comes in. Yeah. Neighbors. So she was born in 1984. She's currently 38 years old. However... She first rose to fame here in Australia when she played Nina Tucker on Neighbours. You were a Neighbours girly, weren't you? Yes, but I wasn't at this stage. Okay, see, I was never a Neighbours girl. I think I might have went through, like, maybe a couple of months of watching Neighbours. Mm. But I was always, as we know, a home and away girly. Mm. So I think I only watched Neighbours, like, slightly when she was on it because I was so obsessed with Delta Goodrum. Mm. So she first started Neighbours in 2002, and it kind of was a way for her to, I think, boost her profile. I mean, obviously she wanted to be an actress to a degree. Like, she has been in other things before. Mm. I'm sorry, since, like, acting. But um, I think it was mostly to boost her profile because she wanted to be a singer-songwriter. So she first started Neighbours in 2002, and in 2003, at the age of 18, she released her debut album, Innocent Eyes, which is a contemporary pop album. And she wrote 11 of the 14 songs on the album. Mm. Icon status. Yes. She was 18 when this was released. Mm. This album was fucked up good. <laughs> fucked up good for a literal like 16 to 18 year old to write. Mm. This is where our story begins. Because as I said, I'm going to be talking about Innocent Eyes, the album. But look, we're going, we're going to learn a bit about Delta in general. Mm-hmm. Because we simply can't. Do you know much about her being 
I know a bit. Okay, yeah. I know about Mark Philippoussis. I'm not mentioning Mark Philippoussis. And Brian McFadden. I'm not mentioning... I'm not going through Delta's entire, like, history. I'm just going through the Innocent Eyes era. era. No, I don't know a lot about it. I also want to know... Sorry to hijack, but okay. I also want to know, like... He's rich, but are you gonna, <laughs> Are you going to get to talk about her being a judge on The Voice? No. So, here's what pisses me off. She's was a judge on The Voice. She doesn't do it anymore, right? Anyway, I don't know. And people love to hate Delta Goodrum so much because she's a confident, vivacious woman who Mm -hmm. expresses herself. And that's what I have to say. I completely agree. I I will get to the pipeline from Australia's sweetheart to someone that we kind of use as a punching bag. Mm. I will get, I will mention that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I completely agree. Like literally when someone doesn't like Dalton Goodrum Wait, actually. And I just remembered this story that my mum actually I think I might have said this on the episode with Bray that my that I went to a camp one time and the camp counsellor like I said she didn't like Delta Goodrum and I literally called my mum and said I want to go home. Because I was so offended. I was it like, is very if offensive. you don't like Delta Goodrum, you don't like me. Yeah. And that's not okay. If you don't like Delta Goodrum, <laughs> you have no taste and you simply couldn't be a good camp counsellor. Completely agree, completely agree. Okay. So I was 10 when Innocent Eyes, the album, was released. Mm. So looking back, to be very, very earnest for a moment, I truly think this was an album that inspired the writer in me Mm. and inspired in a large part. I've always grown up loving music. My mum is a huge music lover. Like she used to work in a record shop. She like kind of, like she encouraged my love of like live shows and concerts and stuff. I was Mm. very lucky to go to live music from a super young age and also I got like a lot of CDs and stuff so my mum definitely influenced it and she let me like whatever I want which was great like you know how some parents like oh this is so silly like Mm. this artist like my mum was like she took me to Delta Goodrum's Innocent Eyes tour wow that's iconic and it was I think one of the first concerts I went to Mm. and in saying that this album like when I say that it changed my DNA it literally like I can't even tell you like it was my entire personality this album i fucking loved it and for a for a second i thought that i was going to be a singer songwriter myself and then i quickly realized that i don't have any singing abilities so like that went out the window so i was like i'll just stick to the writing wait didn't you record something <laughs> yes, I did. uh, didn't you record something of you singing something off this album and bury it in a time capsule in your backyard <laughs> you just said the whole thing you just said the whole thing i did i can't again i can't remember if i mentioned this in the episode that bray did on hating alice and ashley but I did. I have been known as a child to be a bit ambitious and I create, I was obsessed with this idea of a time capsule, which I think happened after I watched Crossroads Mm -hmm. and obviously I don't, didn't have a time capsule. I was like 12 or 13. So I created one of my, like in a box and I like got my mum's like record, um, or cassette recorder mm. and I recorded myself singing to Predictable from Innocent Eyes. Predictable is such a good top, song. Top tier it song is, top tier on the song. album. Mm-hmm. A acapella, completely acapella, <laughs> just singing to Predictable. And wow. then I put it in the time capsule and I buried the time capsule. Look, my dad has since paved over the time capsule area, <laughs> so there's no way of me getting it. Also, it definitely has degraded in the, in the soil because I didn't, you know, didn't think about those things as a kid. But I was so obsessed with this album that I thought that I was going to be a singer-songwriter. Wow. And instead, I just said, hey, focus on the writing. You're actually good at that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. The lyrics are just incredible. Mm. The lyrics on this album are just like, 
again, top tier. Like I still listen. You know how sometimes you listen back to things from your childhood yeah. and you're like, I still like it, but like, it's not actually that good. Mm. This album is so lyrically good. is fucking incredible. Can I ask a question? Yes. Are you going to get into like your top like three songs on the album? I can. I just would like to know like what, like if you had to tell me what your three favorite songs are from this album. Yeah. What they would be. Okay. So I will have to say, first of all, it's predictable for sure. Mm. Is not, is one of them. Mm-hmm. How could I possibly go past Not Me, Not I? Mm. How could one possibly go past that song? That yeah. song is so good. <laughs> and it's the way that it's like, it's just, I, that, that, that song is lyrically fucked up. Mm. Fucked up. In my own time. Okay, I know you said top three, but I can't do a top three. I'll do a top five. This is such classic year. <laughs> <laughs> In my own time. That's mm. a song that like, I think... I came to later in life. It makes sense. I was like 10 when the album was released. So in my own time, you know, when you're 10, I was like, you know, didn't have a concept of like pressures and stuff like that. Mm. And I was a bit later. I was like, oh my God, like this song hits home. Lost Without You. She didn't write that song. Did you know that? She was not a co-writer on that song. Oh. But she made it her own. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> but she may as well have but, written it. But in her, in her soul... She wrote it. She was a writer. But that's a, that's a really, really, really fucked up good mm. song. But a year ago today, my emo self really fucked with that song. Will you fall for me? I'm just going <laughs> <laughs> Will you fall for me is the only, um, like, solo self-written track on the album. And mm. it's heavy. Remember that song? No. Oh, it's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. And, of course, Innocent Eyes. So, I, I just listed half the track yeah. list. <laughs> You didn't lose Born to Try, though, which is criminal. Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> Just so we're all on the same I thing. love Born to Try, but I know I feel like when I when something's a single, I never really gravitate towards it as a favorite song. Mm, I and that goes for every artist, pretty much. I just think I felt this way about Taylor Swift's Cardigan being my favorite song of all time. I'm like... Yeah, but I think with like Folklore and Evermore, it kind of hits different because it's like it wasn't... They didn't feel like singles. Like Willow and Cardigan didn't feel like singles. They weren't made to be on like pop radio. No, exactly. And also that whole time, like COVID just felt like not not a real time mm. in the world. Mm. So anyway, back to Delta Goodrum. The lyrics are phenomenal. I remember being so in awe of these songs and the way that they connected with me. And like, it, it, I kind of, when I was reading, when I was writing this, I was kind of thinking about the fact that I was so much younger. So she was 18 when she released this album. I was mm. 10. And obviously I could not relate to an 18 year old's experiences at that time, but something about it just like really, really, really connected with me from mm. such a young age. Like she sings about insecurity, grief, heartbreak, vulnerability, like, I feel like she had such a strong, like, sense of self on this album, mm. which I think when I was 10, I think I've always been quite a headstrong and, like, sure type of person, mm. even from a young age. So, like, I think maybe when I was 10, like, my, that really connected with me in itself. So, yeah, I was, I really for a while tried to, like, tried to describe just why this album had such a mark and still plays such a huge role. And like, I listen to it and I know every lyric and I love it so much. Mm. There's not a skip on this album, just to be very, very clear. <laughs> this album is one of the few albums that does not have a single skip. Mm-hmm. 
But let's go through some stats, right? Mm-hmm. Because this album fucked up the Australian music industry. Mm-hmm. It was actually wild. Did she sweep the arias? Yes. Are you kidding? Do you not know this? No, I don't know this. This is why you're educating me today. <laughs> okay. It's me thinking that everyone has the level of knowledge and Delta Goodrich than I have. <laughs> okay. So like I mentioned, 14 tracks, not one single skip. Let's mm-hmm. start there. We have motivational, hopeful songs. We have heartbreak songs. We have angry breakup tracks. We have beautiful, vulnerable track to end the album. Will you fall for me? Just like a piano. This bitch plays piano so beautifully. Mm. She plays it with her shoes off most of the time. Did you know that? Yeah, she's an icon. Yeah. I feel like I have like a vivid memory in my mind of like Delta Goodrum on the piano with her long blonde hair, no shoes on in like a really long flowy yes. dress. And yes, it's like that's her spec. Yeah. she's serving. Oh, if there's one thing this woman does, it serves morning, noon, and night. She she has not stopped serving. She has Wait. not stopped serving. Are we going to get to Nick Jonas at all? I'm not going through her love life. No, okay, but we need to talk about <laughs> Nick Jonas. Are you thinking that I'm talking about a fucking album and when she was 18 and it's you asking me about these things that have happened in the past 10 years? I know, but like, but like her dating Nick Jonas was a fever dream. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, you're you're so correct though. It was was it was the most random thing. (laughs) Diva dream is the only way to put it. When I look, speaking of rearranging my DNA, when I saw those photos, I was like, insert that 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 gif of that woman with like all the the physics equations. I was like, how are these two people like in the same? Well, literally, it doesn't feel like they, and still does not feel like they should exist on the same planet. No. It makes no sense. What did they talk about? I don't well, know. Well, I think they're both religious. I think maybe they talked about faith. They're oh. both art. What do you mean? They're both musicians. They they're both in the common. industry. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, like Delta literally made more sense with Mark Philippoussis. Actually, no, she didn't because he's frightful. He's so frightful. He's so frightful. What we can, what we can conclude from this, you know, all I will say about Delta's love life is that no one's good enough. I think she's going to be in a partnership now, though. I think she's with someone now. So, like, I'm not going to say he's not good enough because mm. that would be rude of me. But everyone else, not good enough. Mm. Not good enough. Although, her song with Brian McFadden fucking slaps. <laughs> <laughs> Almost here, if you haven't listened to it. Jesus. That song. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> that song is fucked. Uh-huh. Okay. This album, so basically what I wanted to say with all that information was that this album leaves you wanting nothing. You are fed. Mm. You are content. You are ready to tackle everything the world can throw at you after you listen to this album. Mm -hmm. It goes without saying, by the way, if you haven't listened to this album, fucking listen to it. That's all I'm saying. So five songs out of the 14 were released as singles. Born to Try, Lost Without You, Innocent Eyes, Not Me, Not I, and Predictable. Mm. Every single one went to number one in Australia. Vibes. As it fucking should delta was nominated for 13 aria awards and won seven of them for innocent eyes and so the aria awards are as australians like to put it australia's grammys it's a bit it's a bit um sad it's a bit sad to put it like that they were actually um being held on the gold coast last week did you know that i think it was the gold coast it was either gold coast or brisbane oh which is again a bit concerning because i don't know i feel like when anything is like why isn't it held in sydney is my question I don't know. Anyway, doesn't matter. The album itself was the highest selling album in Australia in 2003 and is the second best selling Australian album of all time. Really? Yes. What's the number one? Fever by Kylie Minogue, I think. 
You know what? These neighbors girlies know, I know. what they're doing. I know. Wait, Kylie Minogue is also so deeply iconic. Oh, you know, Neil, I had this really kind of fucked up memory when I was in grade four. So I was, what, 10? We had a school concert and we danced to, um, what song is it? This is me trying to think of the song. Can't get you out of my head? Yes. Yes. See, you got the vibe. And I remember we, I don't know why, it's like our school just wanted us to dress like so slutty. (laughs) So, So I had like a short black skirt on. Thigh high boots. <laughs> Were you like eight? I was grade four, so I was ten, uh, ten. Oh my god! Wait, you know what's also kind of a fever dream in the Australian music industry? <laughs> the Young Divas. <laughs> you just know that they asked Delta to be in the Young Divas, and she said, "No, no, no, I am the Young Diva." <laughs> <laughs> Who was even in the Young Divas? Pauline. Pauline. Ricky Lee. Oh my god, Ricky Lee. Wait, wait. Oh my god, oh my god, something's been unlocked. Ricky Lee's album was my shit. Wait, the one with Sunshine on it? I don't even remember. I, I never listened to a full album by Ricky Lee. Oh my god, I had the CD and it was repeat, repeat, repeat. I'm gonna have to listen you to it. You do give Ricky Lee up. I do. I do. I wasn't a Young Divas girly, but I was a Ricky Lee girl. No, the Young Divas had some fucking bangers. That one's like, oh, I love you so. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Here's the thing. Wait, growing up in Australia is a unique experience. The young divas walked so little mix could run and that's all I'm saying. The young divas walked so fifth harmony <laughs> could run. <laughs> oh my god. Wow, what an iconic thing. The, the young divas were the original One Direction. Because they were all from Australian Idol. That Harry Styles owes his whole entire career to Paulini. <laughs> Camilla Car- Cabello owes her whole entire Ricky career to Ricky Lee. Yeah. Wait, it's the way we can't remember the other people who were in the Young Game. It was, it was Kate DeRouge. Yes. It Wait, was- she had a fucked up banger of a song <laughs> as well. What was it called? I don't know, but I know. <laughs> who else was it? Who was the fourth Young Diva? I'll look it up right this second, I, I don't you worry. Need to know. I need you to think about it. Is it Natalie something? Oh, maybe. I can see her <laughs> in the <laughs> young diva. <gasps> How dare we? How dare we? Who did we forget? We Who did we forget? forget Jessica Malboy. Well, just Jessica Malboy wasn't in the young divas. No. No, she was in it. Jessica Malboy. Ricky Lee Coulter. Paulini. Emily Williams, Kate DeRouge, and Jessica Malboy. What? Yeah, fever fucking dream. There was five of them? I yeah. thought there was only four young divas. <laughs> I'm literally so confused. <laughs> well, it says here that Ricky Lee left in 2007, and then it was just Paulini, Emily Williams, Kate DeRouge, and Jessica Malboy. Oh. Anyway, okay, let's go back to Delta Goodrum. So, best-selling, second best-selling album, Australian album of all time, mm. Icon Status. Following this incredible success, I, I don't think, I don't think it's possible to describe unless you lived it just how much of a chokehold Dalton Goodrum had on Australia during this time. <laughs> she, like, I was ten. She had a chokehold on like, on like young girls, 
on the music industry. Like she was being just like, she was just loved Mm. by, she was Australia's sweetheart, right? Like Mm -hmm. she was this relatively innocent, like very talented, like, you know, for like a soft spoken, like reserved almost woman. And like, you know, we can talk for days about how we want women to be soft spoken and reserved in order to be like loved. But Mm. she just was, she seemed very genuine, very just like self-assured, but also like humble. And again, like that's not necessarily something that you need to be, but she, Australia loved her. Australia loved her. Mm. She was everywhere at the time, so she was 18, and she was just, like, so passionate about making music and songwriting, and I think that also really came through in her songs and, like, her performances and everything like that. Like, I really think, when I was thinking about it, and I could be wrong, but, like, you know, I also feel like for Delta, like, she was the first artist, for me at least, and maybe for other people, who did have that deep connection to her music. Like, Mm. it wasn't, like, a manufactured kind of pop Thing, which like I don't I think there's a place for that for sure but mm. if you're connecting with someone who like writes lyrics and makes their own music and is really passionate about that process like she was the one of the first people who I was like wow like this is inspiring to listen to and to watch mm. so I think that made her like super different at the time as well so keeping all this in mind the fame the popularity the incredible success of Innocent Eyes just four months after Innocent Eyes was released in 2003, at the age of 18, Delta was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, mm. which is a type of cancer that affects the lymphatic system. And I also think like it's kind of a natural progression that with someone who's so famous and so successful at the time and so young, mm. this like rocked Australia when mm. she was as I mean as it should like when she was diagnosed with cancer, I didn't realize how soon after Innocent Eyes was released. Cause I think cause we were so young, yeah. the time felt so much longer, but it was four months. Mm. Like she was in like the thick of it, like in, in the thick of promotion and performances and like all that stuff. And she was, she was probably like, you know, planning a tour and stuff like that. Mm. And she was saying that she was like really fatigued, like not like losing weight rapidly, like all these crazy symptoms. And you think about the fact that she was doing all this stuff mm. while suffering from cancer that she didn't even know about. Yeah. So obviously she had to take time off to undergo chemotherapy and radiation. And she went into remission in 2003, thankfully. Mm. And to the public's knowledge, she's never, her cancer has never returned. So that's great. Mm. Um, I will never forget seeing her win all of her ARIA awards in 2003. So when she released, as I said earlier, she released Innocent Eyes. She was nominated for 13 ARIA Awards. It was the most successful album of the year. By the time the ARIAs rolled around, she came to the awards after doing chemotherapy and radiation. And she, do you remember this? No. This is just like in my brain. She came to the awards with like this short blonde hair. Mm. I think it may have been a wig because she had lost her hair in radiation therapy. Mm. Um, and she was wearing this gorgeous pink dress and it was just like the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. Like it, it had such a, like a, an impact on me, mm-hmm. like as someone who loved this woman and loved what she did. And I mean, I think I've mentioned in the past that like I grew up and when I was, um, six and eight, my mom and my brother had cancer like consecutively. So mm-hmm. I really grew up around that kind of like scary time and like in hospitals and like knowing a lot about that process of like getting treatment for cancer. Yeah. Um, and I think seeing this person who I so idolized so, so much for so many different reasons, Mm. like step out and be like, 
this is me with like I'm different to how I looked previously but I'm, I'm going to like celebrate my work and my mm-hmm. life and stuff like that like it was just like the whole of Australia got behind her mm-hmm. I remember watching the Aries with my parents like because she was winning everything and mm-hmm. it was just the most special moment ever um so she won seven awards that night and she was so deserving and I just think that it was like a, a top tier Australian memory mm. really okay so shortly after going into remission she released her second album called mistaken identity and she went on tour which i obviously attended mm. that album was iconic mm-hmm. it was so much darker and like she had this like short dark hair again mm. because she like was growing her hair back and it was just like a whole era change yeah did you, did you like that album as a kid? Yeah, I remember listening to it in my Discman when I would walk to the oh lolly God, shop yes. as a kid. <laughs> oh, dis- Discman's was such a vibe, yeah. weren't they? So that album, I think like that album and then her album after that, Delta, like mm. those three albums were like, I mean, she's released albums since then. I have listened to them. We actually, we are going, as Ducky mentioned, to Delta's concert next year. I don't mm. know if she's going to be performing any songs besides of Innocent Eyes. I think she will. Yeah, but she is performing Innocent Eyes top to bottom because it mm. is the 20-year anniversary of the album next year, which is just incredible. Incredible. Like, don't tell me. I get to live through this. This is crazy. Like, what a, what a privilege to be able to live in the time of Innocent Eyes and then yeah. get to see Innocent Eyes in concert 20 years later. Iconic. Iconic. Mm. So I'm so ready for that concert. I'm so ready to relive that like childhood nostalgia because I had a f- one singular friend back then who loved Delta as much as me. And now I have like four or five friends. Like five of us are going to the concert mm. together. That's going to be iconic. Yeah. Anyway, so that's Innocent Eyes, the album. That's Delta Goodrum. And that is what absolutely formed my identity in pop culture when I was a kid. Lovely. Thank you so much for that. Oh, thank you. Okay, before I get into my pop culture made me moment, I want you to try and guess what I'm doing. Okay. Because I feel like it's pretty obvious. Okay. Like kind of on brand for me. Do Um, I know much about this topic? Yeah, I would say that you know a bit about this topic. and And it's music slash... Television. Television Australian? No. Okay, okay, okay. okay. I, would say, I would say it's 50-50 music and television. Oh. Is it Hannah Montana? No. Great, because I don't fuck with that. <laughs> um, can you give me one teeny tiny little hint? I don't think I can. Okay, just tell me then. I don't know. Okay, so today I want to talk about the soundtrack of The O.C., <gasps> which is one of my favorite oh. television shows of all time okay. and also what I believe to be the best television soundtrack oh. of all time. Yes. Uh, it is something that I revisit continuously. I'm currently in my revisiting it Are you? Um, and I also love to rewatch the show as well. So for those of you who don't know... Um, which... I struggle to think of anyone our age who doesn't know The O.C. <laughs> I know, I know, but we, we do have <laughs> we a lot have of younger listeners. Yeah. Uh, the O.C. is an American teen drama that aired from August in 2003 to February in 2007, running a total of four seasons. Mm. So the O.C. is um, the initials of Orange County, which is a location in Southern California where it is set. Fun fact, the actual houses in the O.C. are in Malibu vibes. Um <laughs> The series is one of the most iconic shows of its time for so many reasons, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. I think that it really um, set this, like... I I don't think that we have 
teen dramas like this anymore that were so long, like 25 mm. to 27 episodes. The luxury seasons. of having shows that long when they when you love them. Mm-hmm. You never had to be like, oh, damn it, it's done. Yeah. I mean, like you did when the series finale happened, but like that was so... It was, it was 40 minute long episodes as well. Yeah, 40 minute long episodes, such long seasons, so much character development, so much storyline, and we just don't really see this much TV anymore. Yeah. As well as that, I've heard the cast talk about the fact that they would shoot for like nine to 10 months out of the year, this show, because mm-hmm. it was so long running. No wonder they're still living off those that, that money from the OC. Yeah. Like, no wonder, like, we haven't seen many of them do heaps of stuff, but like, they're still like, They're still good financially. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And something that I have found really interesting, and if you were ever a fan of the OC, you may remember the fact that the soundtrack was very different to a lot of teen dramas of its time Mm. and still definitely has uh, an entirely different sound. Something very important to know is that the creators of the show, Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage, they really looked at the soundtrack and the music in the show as its own character and I think that's why it is so prominent and obvious and why it is so nostalgic as well because like for example like Gossip Girl was another show by the same creators it didn't have that music as a character you can't remember the soundtrack I can tell you so many scenes that are I I hear a song on the radio or like anywhere in another TV show and I think of an OC scene. Yeah. So many. Yeah. That doesn't happen with many other shows. It happens a little bit with Grey's Anatomy for me Mm -hmm. because Grey's Anatomy also has like song uh, music as like a very central theme. Yeah. But you're right. Like Gossip Girl also by the same creators doesn't Mm. have like I – not that I'm a huge Gossip Girl fan but like I would never – no. Be able to tell you a song from Gossip Girl. Yeah. So I think one of the reasons why the soundtrack of the OC is so iconic is because when it aired, it was really in the time before social media media really kind of existed. Mm. And it was a time where like your mainstream music and things that you heard on the radio were things that were more likely to be used in television. Mm. Whereas the OC really did not do that. They really focused on using more indie music from bands that a lot of people hadn't heard of. And in fact, a lot of the uh, bands that they used were bands that the creator, Josh Schwartz, he loved himself. Mm. Um, And he thought it would be a good opportunity to do something different and again, create that character in the show but as well as that also showcase different artists that perhaps weren't getting that recognition on pop radio and stuff like that um which is really interesting Mm -hmm. so in an article that was published on a website called pitchfork the writer Sinead Stubbins said this more than any musical tie-in that had come before it music from the OC remains the most influential teen tv soundtrack critically and commercially Part of this is due to the cultural climate in 2004. Teenagers' experiences of the internet was edging towards the Mm. autonomy we have today, but they didn't quite have the same ease and fluidity of social media to share and discover new music. So we had things like LimeWire, Kazaa and MySpace, but without knowing what to look for, they were kind of useless. So we don't have the things like we have now, like Spotify, where we can search anything. Instagram, Shazam. Shazam, (laughs) Like literally we have access to so much music now whereas back then we really didn't have access to so much unless we heard about it from a friend or in other forms of um, media as well 
So Sinead Stubbins continued to say, if you didn't know where to start, you wanted an older, cooler sibling to create your indie listening experience, which has now been replaced by the internet. The OC's showrunner Josh Schwartz and music supervisor Alex Pat Sarvis took that mantle very seriously. There's a reason that the OC called their musical releases mixes instead mm. of soundtracks. Mm. And I think that's really true. Like, a lot of what we see from the the OC soundtrack and the OC mixes, it really ties in with the actual characters of the show. Like, do you yes. remember Seth Cohen loving Death Cab for Cutie? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And Seth Cohen was like the original indie soft boy. He was. Yeah. And this is a thing, like, so many of the bands that he loved in the show was yeah. Josh Schwartz loved in real life. Yeah. And then they turned into mixes. You think about the fact that, like, they would make each other mixes of CDs in the show mm-hmm. and then they made mixes for, you know, the audience to listen to the music from the show. Yeah. It had this real nostalgic, naughties uh, thing about it and I think that's why people still love it so much today mm-hmm. and connect with it so much because it is that feeling of what music was before the internet. Yeah, and I also think it's really, like, looking back, I'm like, imagine, like, the platform that they gave to certain bands, indie bands, like, even, like, for Death... Like, I don't know much about Death Cab for Cutie. Like, I definitely discovered them from the OC. But I don't know, like, I would not be surprised if, like, that really catapulted them into, like, a new level of success. Yeah. This is actually... This actually leads me perfectly into (laughs) what I was going to say next. So, in an article published on a website called Complex, the writer Tara Aquino said... Thanks to the OC, indie music went mainstream and the practice of premiering your song on a major TV show or film franchise became commonplace. Not only did bands like Rooney, The Walkman, The Thrills and Rachel Yamagata become iPod staples, but some even got major label deals out of their appearances on the show. Case in point, Seth Cohen's number one band, Death Cab for Cutie, signed a deal with Atlantic Records in November 2004 after tracks from their latest album were featured on season one of the show. It also helped that it was the album that was Seth's go-to gift for the girls that he liked. Mm. So you really see how that starts to have an impact on... Um, you know obviously people's purchasing decisions in real life and what they choose to listen to and really shifted um, this way for for indie music to become more mainstream and to become more uh, accessible for people as well do you remember that song forever young well it wasn't it wasn't an original song it was a cover yeah who was it by it was an Australian band youth group youth group Yeah. yeah that song went fucking crazy after it went on the OC and still now I can listen to that song and I haven't watched like done a full rewatch of the OC in a few years but like I can listen to that song and I can see Ryan and Marissa dancing by the pool yeah there's so many songs like that like other songs that I remember is Hallelujah Mm -hmm. um it was like a the cover of Hallelujah obviously the um the image and heap song Mm -hmm. obviously I'm going to get into some Oh, you are? Okay, sorry. I won't hijack them. That's okay. (laughs) So something else, um, I I think I mentioned this already, but Josh Schwartz used the bands that he really, really loved because he wanted to share their music with the world. But as well as that, it was also more affordable for the show to use Mm -hmm. more indie music rather than using mainstream Mm -hmm. music, of course. Um, An example of this is that the band Rooney, who also appear in the show, which I'm going to get into, um, (laughs) it was one of his favorite bands in real life. And after their appearance on the show, they reportedly experienced a 200% increase in sales. Wow. Yeah. 
So something that was pretty cool um, was the introduction of the bait shop in mm-hmm. the OC, which was like a bar music venue that they introduced in season two, which then allowed these indie bands to actually come onto the show mm-hmm. and to provide this live music experience, That's which where again, Olivia Wilde comes in as well, right? That is where Olivia Wilde yeah. comes in, which thank you so much. This morning, I actually watched my favorite episode of the OC. Context, Yes, whilst I was getting ready and I was getting prepared to record this episode. Um, Which one's your favorite episode? The Rainy Day Women in season oh, two. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I can just like watch that episode. I have I have things to say about it, okay. that episode. Um, but yeah, it's pretty cool what they did with the bait shop because it then also created this live music experience which people wanted to experience in real life. Mm. And it's just like so cool to look back on. Like the vibes are just completely immaculate and as we can see the OC does get given a lot of credit for what it did for indie music and launching indie bands into stardom like thinking about bands like Death Cab for Cutie like where would they be without the OC we don't know yeah obviously very talented musicians but we do live in a world where people need exposure in order to be successful and it just isn't it wasn't as easy for bands back then as it is now yeah I also think like I'm sure a big part of the fact that like using indie music was so um successful in the show was because I think it really harnessed that like angst of the teenage viewers like because indie music has more angst it has more grit yeah it has more I guess like I don't want to say meaning but like I think it makes you feel more. Yeah, it makes you feel more than yeah. like a mainstream song, which is again like this. There's obviously there's places for mainstream music, but I think especially in that era when like you were trying to you know get the attention of like 14, 15, 16, 17 year olds, mm. that angst really played a part. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So as I mentioned this morning, I watched my favorite episode of The OC, mm-hmm. which is called The Rainy Day Women, which I do have to say I'm now feeling a rewatch, but I'm also like in the midst of rewatching so many other things. I was about to suggest a rewatch of the OC. (laughs) It's it's simply not possible. Um, But the Rainy Day Women is one of my favourite episodes of the OC. This is a mild tangent because we're talking about more than the music, but um, the whole vibe of this episode is actually a perfect TV episode because... Wait, can you just quickly... I think I know which episode you're talking about. Can you Mm -hmm. just quickly give me a rundown? So basically it's raining for the first time in in the OC in like forever. The story lines we've got going on are oh wait <laughs> sorry to interrupt sorry yeah. to hijack is this the one where like uh ryan's in his, yeah. in his thing and seth's in the house and yeah. they're like <laughs> they didn't they don't want to go out and they talk on the phone instead they're like <laughs> yeah it is so so good like, i do want to rewatch it i know this, this is the thing something, after we do the l word yeah <laughs> something else that's so iconic about um the oc is the fact that Every time the before credits scene is always comedic. Have you noticed that? Yes, it's like a little. It's like a little sitcom intro. Yes, and it's so. No one does that. No one else does that. The was a perfect fucking show. Are you kidding? It's so good. It's so well done. And you know what? That fourth fucking season. Don't tell me a bad word about it. It's iconic. It's a great season. I could do a whole pop culture made me episode on Taylor Townsend. Sorry. I could do a whole pop culture made me on Johnny. No, I love. You will get the ick on a rewatch. I know. I, I've, I've, I've since rewatched just those things, and I'm like, Ugh. but something about him when I was a kid, I loved him. I, I literally couldn't stand couldn't him. You? I'm just such a Ryan girly through and through that I was like, yeah. I don't want anyone making Ryan feel bad things. No, see, I was always a Seth girly. I was always a soft boy girly. 
growing up. It makes so much sense that I'm a Ryan girlie and you're a Seth girlie. But, ne- but now I'm a Ryan girlie. Mm, okay. Yeah. Anyway, so the rainy day women, this is what's happening. Summer's about to go to Italy with Zach, but nice. Seth's trying to get her to stay. Yeah. Zach is the personification of... um A golden retriever. A golden retriever. It's like Midnight Rain by Taylor Swift. Mm. That's their, that's their um, dynamic. Yeah. It broke his heart because he was nice. Yeah. Um, Sandy is trying to help Rebecca. Oh, God, Rebecca. And Kirsten is like not doing well. <laughs> Is she ever? Is she ever doing well? I don't know. No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, Marissa has started dating Alex. Frightful. But this scene, this episode is also iconic because it's the scene where Seth discovers that Marissa and Alex are dating each other. And he does this thing where he's like rubbing his eyes and he's like, (laughs) oh my God. And then he's telling Ryan for the first time, he's like, so my ex-girlfriend is dating your ex-girlfriend and Seth just thinks he's like serving and they're looking at each other like oh my god and they're sitting on this boat that's in the lounge room it's a fucking random so funny anyway um as well as that this episode has all been written around the spider-man kiss uh that's why i know that it's not because like yes definitely this whole episode has been written around that moment and them wanting to do that with seth and summer i always hated the spider-man kiss no it's so iconic (laughs) let me tell you why the music this is why oh wait yeah what song plays during it champagne supernova (gasps) okay yes starts playing champagne supernova starts playing through all of these moments where Sandy is leaving Rebecca to go home to Kirsten, to get on the bus to go home to Kirsten, right? And Marissa is walking Alex to the bait shop and then she sees Ryan standing in the rain and he's sad because Lindsay's leaving. Oh, yeah, that's what else is happening. Oh, but it's like, Lindsay, We don't need please. to talk about Lindsay. <laughs> no one was sad. Lindsay was leaving. Summer is leaving the airport, realizing that she loves Seth and she needs to be with Seth and she's going home to find him. And Seth is climbing on the roof because the TV aerial is out yeah. and he's trying to fix it and he falls down and he's hanging upside down. And Champagne Supernova is playing. And let me tell you, this scene would not be what it is without this song. And every time I listen to this song, I feel things because of everything that's going on in this I show. I will say that Champagne Supernova is not an indie song. No, it's not an indie <laughs> song. I will say that this is the thing. Whilst there is a lot of indie music yeah. that they use, and if you listen to the soundtrack, they also use some major songs yeah. that have that more indie feel to them, but are mainstream. I would bands. say it's more of a classic song. Yes, yeah. Which why is why it has that effect. Yeah. Absolutely, mm. yeah. So something else that I want to talk about just briefly is the repetition with songs. Mm. So oh. in in this episode of the Rainy Day Women, there's this song called faking the books which you probably won't know Mm -hmm. i don't think anyone would really know it but it repeats throughout the episode so we Mm. often have in the oc songs that repeat throughout the episode but then also songs that repeat throughout the series Mm -hmm. and different versions of songs as well so for example in the rainy day women we have a few moments where for example marissa and alex are making out while julie's not facing them we also have an episode where marissa and alex are making out another time and we also have um where seth um, sees them and, and knows they're together and when Seth is telling Ryan about yeah. Marissa and Alex. So all these moments happen throughout the episode and they're all connected in some way and they all have the same song playing throughout Iconic. them. Which is genius. It is genius. It is. So, so good. It's a common thread between every scene. Yeah. 
as well as that, we have a song um, not in the Rainy Day Women. I'm done with the Rainy Day Women for now. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> um, but we have a few songs that repeat throughout the show, which you'll probably remember the iconic moments that they come into. So we have a song called Into Dust by mm-hmm. Mazzy Star. So this song plays, first of all, in the outro scene of the pilot when Ryan is driving away. Mm-hmm. As well as that, it plays in the end scene of the episode called The Escape in season one when Marissa overdoses and oh. Ryan is carrying her. Mm. Uh-huh. Oh. Uh-huh. Immediately in that alleyway in Tijuana. <laughs> you can feel it. In- oh, right. It's- you can feel... You can literally feel the energy. <gasps> that just gave me chills. Yeah. So this song also repeats in the episode where Marissa overdoses in Tijuana and Ryan is carrying her out of the alleyway. And then it repeats again. <laughs> yes, I know what you're about to say. What, do you, what am I about to say? When she died. No. I know you think that's what happens, but it's not. What? It repeats in the season four episode, Chris McCaha. Uh When Ryan and Taylor have that alternate universe situation, when Ryan is coming to peace with everything that's happened with Marissa, that's when it repeats. I know what what you're thinking. In what context does it repeat in that video, in that scene? I think it repeats at the end of the episode when he's kind of like realizing that he did everything he could to save marissa okay well who who what song plays when he's when he's carrying marissa i'm about to get there this is next is it hallelujah it is let me tell you what happens okay so hallelujah by jeff buckley plays twice and then we have a different version of hallelujah that also plays so hallelujah first plays when the model home burns down Uh in episode two of the entire series hallelujah is one of my favorite songs of all time by jeff buckley so so good yeah then it also repeats in the finale of season one which is when we've mm-hmm. got like um seth sailing away ryan going mm. to be with Teresa, marissa accepting that she's living in her new home yeah. all of these things happening then hallelujah by image and heap plays oh. when marissa dies yeah. and ryan is carrying her the, away the repetition of the like oh the repetition in this show is incredible. But the way that, not this is not music related, but the way that Ryan carries Marissa in the same way he carried her in that first mm-hmm. season. And then the way it ties in in season four when he is like realizing that if he didn't save her in Tijuana, she would have died then. Exactly. Oh my God, I literally Ex- have full body chills right same. now. <laughs> like exactly. It's like it makes, oh, same, I'm getting full body chills. Like it makes sense that he, like it was that, it was that juxtaposition or like that, that, um, comparison scene Mm. with him carrying her down the road Mm. because it's almost like it was always going to end that way regardless totally Mm. and it's just like it's so beautiful it's so beautiful beautiful. the last song i want to talk about is obvious yes hide and seek by imogen plays (laughs) twice (laughs) twice twice in the same episode yes oh in the same episode okay Yes, I think I'm correct with that. It plays. <laughs> you're tell, you're, it's your segment, huh? <laughs> it plays earlier in the episode at Caleb's funeral. Oh. So yes, at the beginning of the finale of season two, "Hide and Seek" by Imogen Heat plays during mm-hmm. Caleb's funeral. Just for context, this is the one that goes, "Where are, are we? we? 
What the hell is going on? Not- Wait, I listened to this song on repeat on the way to like school camp and you're right, I think. Okay. It is so, so, so good. So it plays then, but then of course it repeats at the end of season mm. two, uh, at the end of the season two finale when Marisha, Marissa shoots Trey. Look, if you don't know it from the OC, you know it from the SNL skit. Don't yeah. act like you don't. Everyone knows it from something. Um, and this is obviously such an iconic oh. song. And once again shows how, like, I think the repetition of music can make Mm. you feel something. And I think overall what I want to say about music from the OC is the fact that I really do think that all of this music and and all the soundtrack is a main character Mm. as the creators of the show intended it to be Mm. because it is so prominent and it makes you feel so many things. Absolutely. Music in film and music in television is so important for the story, for the character development, everything. Yeah. Well, even the fact that we just got chills listening to that song mm. and that we can just instantly sing. Like, And also, this is all bringing up so many different songs that I listen to exclusively because of the OC to exactly. begin with. And like, Hello You by Jeff Buckley, I'd never heard that song before. The OC, but yeah. it's still one of my favorite songs. Yeah. And that says it all. Totally. So it's iconic. That's what I have to share today um, because this the soundtrack this soundtrack continues to be something I go back and listen to when mm. I'm feeling nostalgic when I'm feeling kind of like free in a way that's kind of like the way that it makes me feel like mm. all of these emotions and I think it's really really beautiful the impact that music can have on you and the way that all of these songs just fit so perfectly together despite being by so many different yeah. artists yeah and especially when because like you know you don't necessarily listen to the artist in general but the song mm. I think that's what's powerful is when you have a connection to a song, not necessarily an artist. Yeah. I think that, if anything, speaks louder Yeah. when, like, an artist manages to make a song that just hits home somehow. Totally. Wow. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. That was, like, quite niche, but I and I never would have thought of that idea, but, like, it's so true. Mm. Iconic. Thank you so much. Well, guys, hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope you learned a few things, whether it's about Delta Goodrum or the OC. Um, let us know if you, um, agree with, if you, if you know much about what we just spoke about, if you agree with it, if you didn't know, whatever it is you have to Mm. say, let us know. Yeah. As always, we do have bonus episodes over on our Patreon for our $5 and $9 per month tiers. So if you are looking for some bonus content, feel free to click the link in the show notes. Yes. As always, we appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for being a listener of the potty. If you're new, please share this with a friend. If you've been here a while, please share this with a friend. It really (laughs) helps us out. Love you lots. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.